I didn't start drinking until I was 16, which I guess is a pretty common age. When I drank, it was, you know, to get drunk. And it was every weekend. The first time I realized something was off was when I was in a play at school. One weekend we had a rehearsal and suddenly I was mad that I couldn't go out and drink. I was like, that's weird. But of course, you know, 16, I just kind of pushed that off to the side. But in Mm -hmm. retrospect, it's like, hmm, okay, that was a kind of a A little bit of a flag. Yeah. Yeah. Hey folks, welcome back into another episode of How's That Working For You, a podcast where we try to examine life through the lens of the Enneagram and often uh, the lens of 12-step recovery. And we're uh, looking for some help, some hope, and humor along the way. And uh, as part of that design today, I've invited my good friend Christy Fines to come into the studio. Christy, hey. Hey, thanks for having me today. This will be fun. Yeah, I think it will be. Uh, I really appreciate you getting up and coming in. I know you got smaller kids to get off to school and attend to and all that, and it's coming across town, so I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's always an adventure in the mornings to get everybody up and out and, you know, not screaming at each other. Yeah, now Maggie and Morgan are how old now? Nine and 11. Oh, my gosh. I know. No way. Middle school next year. Yeah. Oh, crazy. I know. Yeah. And and y'all had a musical last night, right? At yes, church? there was yeah. a musical last night at church. Maggie was in it, and she had a blast. It was great. Is she? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, folks, by the time they hear this one, would have heard a previous podcast, hopefully, where your husband Adam came in. Yep. And, and we had we had some time with Adam. And uh, he, he shared a lot of stuff, and we said, well, you know, we probably need to let Christy have rebuttal. <laughs> and, get, and get her up here to make sure that he actually told the truth. There we go. Or that he was accurate or that he wasn't going through his own lens and <laughs> distorting anything, right? Right. So he said he was okay with that. So here you are. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'll right. set it straight. All right. So uh, tell the folks uh, what any type that uh, you identify with, what ego type do you identify with? I am a type five okay. and with a, a four wing. Heavy four, yes. right? Yeah. Um, so... How did you discover type? What what was the process like, and was it easy to settle in, or was there always some kind of wondering whether you were in the right place or not? You mean as far as, like, the process of, like, after I took the test, was I okay with being a Yeah, that type of thing. Did you take a test? Did anybody help you with it? Did it go back and forth? Or, oh, you're like, oh, no, I'm five. No. No, I've, I've always kind of gone a little bit back and forth because – I identify a lot with the fours, um, pretty heavily. Um, but every time I've ever taken a test, it's been five, clear. And I do identify with fives as well, mainly, I think, when I'm healthier. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, Adam had first got into Enneagram, I think, and I think with you, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's how I started looking into it and seeing, you know, how we matched together and what I possibly was and that kind of stuff. Very fascinating. Yeah. So um, do you like being a five? What Or what are the things about fiveness that appeal to you? That appeal to me or I identify with? That's yeah, either, either, yeah, either one. Um, you know, I, I like um, the, the research aspect. I like the fact that I can dig in and really go deep on things, and that's always a fun time for me. Um, that can sometimes be used negatively. But <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, uh, yeah, sometimes five disappear when they go deep, and everybody else is wondering where they went. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I get frustrated sometimes, even with the fact that I, I can be so greedy with myself and my time. Um, it's hard for me to want to get out and do things sometimes. It's okay. I have to really actively make it a point to be intentional with community. Yeah, okay. And that's pretty common for most fives. Uh, that's a learning curve for them. Yeah. Right. And and I, I'm thinking back now, gosh, a decade almost. I know. Right. And I was thinking about when we first met. And, you, and I correct me if I'm wrong, I remember you and Adam talking about the fact that y'all had to make a concerted effort to kind of get out from your cocoon 
and come out into community. And you had already been impacted by 12-step community at a pretty deep level by that time, yes. I think. Is that right? And you were trying to figure out, I think, exactly where to connect and keep going deeper into community. And it was a pretty big effort. Yeah, it for, was. For it really you. was. Yeah. Um, and it still is, especially um, with the pandemic. It was a great excuse to go hide out and get in my little safe place and cocoon in. Um, so coming back from the pandemic, most everybody else is like, oh, yay, we're all back together. I'm like, oh, do we gotta? <laughs> yeah, yeah. can I just <laughs> stay in here and hoard? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, Allison Robinson, who you know, was also on the podcast, and Allison said, I, I, was, I was all set to crush the pandemic as a five, but, <laughs> but, but I had a baby. And I, I, she said, I had to keep inviting community and I had to keep reaching back out. She said, I was all set to crush it, yeah. you know, to, to hoard. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. All right. So um, you, you, you had to kind of push yourself uh, a decade ago to kind of pull into community. And the truth is, you know, meeting you and, and uh, experiencing all that, I don't think I would have known uh, – if I didn't, if I'd have known then about Enneagram and Type Five and that type of thing all those years ago, then I think it would have been easier for me to understand why that was difficult for you, right? Because right. from a I identify with Type Seven, outgoing, life of the party, the more the merrier. Come on, let's yeah. And so for me, I, it's hard unless I stay conscious and aware and empathetic to people. It's difficult for me to understand why that would be difficult for anybody to come into community like that. Yeah, that just doesn't make sense to you, does it? it? <laughs> not at all. And so without that sense of awareness, I can be kind of unkind to people in some way or at least uh, don't understand well and, and are not empathetic to people. So it's been a learning curve for me like that. Okay, so uh, let's go back further because uh, when we met, you had probably, what, a year or two of sobriety, maybe, sometime, something like something that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, okay. And you had been really uh, pretty significantly impacted by working the steps in the 12-step community before we met, right? And then we ended up all being in a community together. Yeah. We were still doing that. So take us back. Uh, talk to us about the beginnings of addiction, what that looked like, um, what you're willing to talk about in terms of the bottom and that type of thing. And cause there was some, there were some pretty tough times for you. Oh yeah. yeah. It, it was pretty dark. Um, way back machine. Um, you know, I think I always drank alcoholically. Um, I didn't start drinking until I was 16, which I guess is a pretty common age. But, um, when I drank, it was, you know, to get drunk and it was every weekend. <clears throat> and, um, I think the first time I realized something was off was when I was in a play at school. And I'd always loved drama and music, and I was really into that kind of scene. Yeah, kind of four-wing, yeah. kind of pulling in. Right, right absolutely, yeah. the creative. Yeah, actually, you and Allison need to talk even more because you know she was in, in acting. Oh, really? Her parents pushed her into acting. They didn't know what fiveness was 30 years ago. Right. But they sensed they needed to push her outside of herself. And so she got into drama. So wow. interesting. You, you guys need to talk about that. All that right. Sorry I interrupted you. No, yeah. that's good. Um, but I'd always enjoyed that kind of thing. And then one weekend we had a rehearsal. And suddenly I was mad that I couldn't go out and drink. And I was like, that's weird. But of course, you know, 16, I just kind of pushed that off to the side. But in mm -hmm. retrospect, it's like, hmm, okay. That was a kind of a A little sign. bit of a flag. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I grew up in a household where both my parents drank, and they drank a lot. I mean, they were probably alcoholics, um, never admittedly so. Um, but it was normal for my dad to come home and drink and, you know, my mom to drink at night as well. And um, so it just was part of the culture that I was brought up in. So as I went off to school, um, the first semester I was in college, I got pregnant, and um, that really completely changed my plans because I wanted to be a music major, mm -hmm. and suddenly I knew I'd have a kid to support, and um, I went into computer science because it was the dot-com boom, right? Yeah. And I was like, I got to make some money for this kid. Kind of um, the logic of the five. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it worked out really well because I, I liked computers a lot. So I guess, you know, all throughout college – I had, I had this kid to take care of, and I was working and going to school, 
And I'd started emulating my parents, you know, as soon as I put the baby to bed, it's time to drink. And so that's just kind of what I did. It became a nightly type of thing. Um, but you were functioning. I was highly functioning, yeah. Because school grades were good. Right. You, you grades were, at, were passing. Yeah. Passing, and you were you were actually pretty talented at what instrument? I was talented at the clarinet. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah I had several music scholarships. I had a full scholarship to University of Alabama, which I turned down. Now, see, this is where I, I struggle with our relationship. <laughs> I, I've... I've I begin to think of that as, you know, there's something really deeply wrong with you. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but but I, I've forgiven you and I've prayed for you. And, and in fact, you not only turned down the Alabama thing, somehow you became an Auburn fan. I, 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 no. See, you I crossed was, over. I was, I was, <laughs> two, oh, oh, my God. Yeah. I was raised an Auburn fan. My dad was going to allow me to go to Alabama because they were paying for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the way it goes in this state, right? right. Yeah. It's either got to be a lot of pain or a lot of money for you to switch over, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, all right. Well, all right. that's way in the past. You, you turned down Alabama. And so where did you end up going? Well, um, I ended up going to Sanford uh, for the first semester because um, I had a job that I really liked and I enjoyed the independence that that job gave me. That's why I turned down a full college scholarship. Mm. My parents were not pleased with that decision. Yeah. yeah, They had some, um, you know, it was right at the last minute, and they had some money left over um, right before school started. So I got a partial to Sanford for that semester. But um, that semester is also when I found out I was pregnant. So that's I moved over to UAB after that. Okay. And that's where I graduated from. Okay. All right. So at least that's kind of neutral. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. accept that. Okay. We're okay. We're okay. We're right there. Okay. So what was it that you, what attracted you or made you feel familiar when you went into computer and programming and that type of thing? Could you tell what it, what was connecting for you? I was always the black and white thinker, logic, um, and everything made sense. I, I disliked English courses or any kind of writing things because there wasn't a right answer. Okay, so right there for the folks listening, and even for you as you continue on your journey of self-awareness, that tends to separate the five from the four. Okay, yeah. It's not that the four can't be black and white and can't have a but they typically are not going to. First of all, they're going to take every English class they can. <laughs> right? Uh, uh, so that kind of gives you some clues right there that you're more in the mind center rather than in the heart center. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense, yeah. yeah. But then later we can talk about that wing four because it really does show up in you in a lot of ways, and we can talk about that. Yeah. Okay. All right, so the logic of computer pro- – Carrie, as you know, my wife, mm-hmm. uh, was a programmer as well, and she's a type one, and that order appealed to her. Right. Okay, there's an answer. It's a right answer. You can do this right. We can get it right. There's no doubt. Right? See, the beautiful thing about programming is it's also creative. Yes. So there's – many ways to create the solution, even though there is one way for it to work properly, so it's black and white, but um, you can have a very elegant solution to oh, the problem. So okay. that's why I like okay. programming so much. Yeah. All right, talk about that a little bit more, because I know Carrie, from her point of view, the thing that appealed to her was the solidity of it, mm-hmm. and she always claims she's not a creative. But you really have been a creative, so yeah. talk a little bit about that. Well, which part do you want me to talk about as far as, like, the you can, programming side? Yeah, do the programming side, or you can do your hair color side, or you can do... <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always had a creative streak. I mean, I was I was dancing when I was three, and um, then the music thing, and my hair color has never been the same for more than a couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> um, right now, it's teal. Yeah. Um It'll probably be purple again next. Next. It's my yeah. go-to, I yeah. think. Yeah, purple seems to be the more consistent uh, over the years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the thing about programming, it's kind of like I said, it. while it is black and white, I can, I get to create the order of things. And I can make it look 
the way I want it to look. Wow. It's hard to, I'm trying to explain it in non-programming terms, which makes it a little difficult. Yeah, okay. Um, you're saying I'm dumb, is that what you're saying? Okay, no, I get I it, I get not. it. Yeah, sure. I have right. It's okay. I would never. I take rejection much better than I used to. It's okay. <laughs> Swell steps help me I also know it doesn't interest you in the least. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, right? You're doing a good job, though. You're really <laughs> she knows me, folks. <laughs> but... You know, not to skip ahead too much, but it is kind of funny that I, I remember in rehab, one of the exercises were, what does a relapse look like to you? And it was like one of my first things like that. And I wrote a program for it. Really? <laughs> yes. And my therapist was like, you need to show this to your therapist when you go home. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, sort of, but, but it's, that's not how life works. That's too black and white. There's too many, too many gray things in there, which was, you know, always my downfall. Um, I wanted everything to be black and white, and I was unwilling to accept the gray in life. Okay, yeah. Um, which often for any personality, but especially someone who identifies with type 5, is kind of what tempts them back into that hoarding mentality, or as you said earlier, kind of being greedy with themselves. Yeah. Because it feels like if if I can't figure this out with my head, then it's it's dangerous to kind of be in the world and live life on life's terms. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, all right, so college, yeah, getting college. through, uh, have a child, uh, and really, for the most part, you're pretty much a single mom. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, her father wasn't involved at all. Um, but I was I had this mindset where I really wanted to make a family for her. So I kind of went from long-term relationship to long-term relationship type of thing. Um, so I graduated, moved in with a guy that was unsuccessful. Um, but I had I still had everything. You know, I had the frame, as my sponsor put it one time. I had the job. Um, I was taking care of my kids successfully. Um, life was good, even though I was still drinking alcoholically. Mm-hmm. Um, you were you were a high functioner for a long time. Yep. Yeah, until yep. I wasn't. You know, until you work, it works till it doesn't. Yep. Right? Absolutely. Um, and I think it was two thousand five or two thousand four. Um, I had just gotten a divorce. I actually got married for a few months, which was a complete disaster. Um, but I got out of it pretty quick, which was kind of a blessing. But I got into a very bad relationship after that, right after that, like weeks after that. Jumped headfirst into it. Um, but the thing that appealed to me was that he drank more than I did. Now, why was that appealing? Because I could drink as much as I wanted to and not feel bad about it. Yeah. The contrast was there. Right. Yeah. He, he was, if if he didn't have a problem, then I definitely didn't have a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that facet of denial denial that we go through as addicts that compares to something else. So at least I'm not that bad, so I must not have a problem. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, um, you know, in retrospect, my alcoholism was, of course, an issue in all of my relationships. My justification at the time was, these people are trying to control me. Okay. Um, that may or may not have been true in some circumstances to some degree. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that they saw something that I was unwilling to see yeah. about myself. Yeah. Um, that's that's the problem when we form unhealthy relationships is sometimes they might actually be right about something. <laughs> but they're so wrong about everything else. How can we possibly believe it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. A good reason not to believe yeah. them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I was definitely a cut-and-run type. If anybody didn't gel with what I was doing, you're just out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I moved in with this guy who drank more than I did, and we drank, we drank every single day um, nonstop for about five years. And things progressively just got worse for me. Um, our relationship was rocky at best most of the time um there was some there was definitely emotional abuse some physical abuse when we would both get drunk and Mm -hmm. rowdy um but 
it got to the point where I was having noticeable withdrawals during the day. Like we would even go, we worked together also. So we would go at lunch and have beers at lunch. Um, but I didn't know what withdrawals were. I had no mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know that's what I was feeling. Yeah. Um, the body, had, the body had learned to tolerate so well. It sometimes takes years before there's a problem with a reduction or even denial at any level of alcohol. Absolutely. Um, and it, it started to interfere with my work because, um, I would have these panic attacks really, um, because I didn't know what was happening to me. I couldn't process physically like these things that are, what's wrong with me? Why am I so shaky? Why can't I stop this? Um, so I would either go home or call in. I would drink and it would get better. Magic, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so that was really where it started to progress and get worse and started to become. So there's so function. unmanageability starting to come in. The, the first step of the 12 steps talks about we finally admitted we're powerless over something, alcohol or whatever, and life is becoming unmanageable, at least at some level. Right. And so you're experiencing unmanageability at this point. Absolutely. So you were, you were, there was about five year period there where you were still in the relationship and both were drinking. And now it's starting to cause problems. Yes. Um, I had a very flexible job at work. And I was able to get away with a lot. Adam talked about that. It's interesting because you're both in the same industry. Right. Right. With computer pro- and design. Yes. And because you're creatives. Yes. There's a lot of flexibility around the time and the requirements of being at a certain place at a certain time to produce your work. Right. Correct. So. That's all fine and good, <laughs> except it gives you the possibility, the potential to do what you're talking about, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I totally abused that flexibility and uh, eventually came to the part where um, they fired me, although strangely enough, and I did this a, a couple of times in my addiction, I told myself a lie that I got laid off. But I didn't get laid off. But I believed that for a long time. It's like I had to dig back into myself to refigure that out. It was very strange um, for being late. So basically, they were looking for an excuse, I think, mm-hmm. because there was so much flexibility. Yeah. Um, but at that point, that was when I decided that I would stop drinking. Okay. I was going to stop drinking because then... I had all day and it might become a real problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. As if it wasn't a problem at this point. Right. right? right. Um, Boy, denial is not just a river in Egypt, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because my life was falling apart and my boyfriend could see that too. He moved out. So everything started to fall apart. It gets pretty bad when the addict that's worse than you (laughs) deserts you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I have a good friend who said that he knew he was in trouble when he started stealing drugs from himself. <laughs> that it took that level, right? I re- relate yeah, to that, yeah. 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 Um, and so, yeah, I quit. I quit drinking cold turkey because I didn't know anything about addiction, alcohol addiction. Um, and I was real sick for a few days. And because um, that's folks, if you're out there listening and and you have struggled with alcoholism or addiction or if you're not sure how to frame it but you're struggling with alcohol use we want to caution you to get help from an expert could be very careful because to detox on your own from that can be really really dangerous you survived it but it's very dangerous oh yeah it easily could have killed me yeah um I was very sick for a couple of days, and it just felt, you know, stomach flu, shaky, just awful. The DTs. Yes, it was just bad. Um, But then I started feeling normal again. And I had to go get school supplies for my daughter. She was about to start school that summer. And I went to the store, and it had been a few days since I drank, and I had a seizure in the middle of the store. Yep. Which I later learned was a withdrawal seizure. Yeah, and that's part of what we're talking about. There is a acute physical danger to withdrawal from alcohol without the proper medical treatment. Absolutely. It, it is the most dangerous detox without medical treatment. Yep. So you're experiencing that at a level with a seizure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I do feel very lucky and, and very grateful that, you know, I came out of it with as little effects as I did. Um, but I did 
go to detox and um, was that hard to get to to what? detox was it easy to get to was it hard to get to it or did somebody make it easy for you or I mean, they checked me into detox. They okay. knew what was they going knew. on. They yeah. knew, yeah. Okay. You, the seizure really, in a sense, it was almost like you didn't have to make a cognitive decision to go. They got you. They in put the, me in there. Okay, great. Yeah. Yep. So they put me in there and told me to go to treatment. And I said, nope, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got this. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for drying me out. I, I'll take it from here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Do I remember <laughs> thinking that for years. Yeah. I got it. Thanks. Yeah, I got yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I started going to AA meetings and I didn't get it. And I was really trying to find all the reasons I didn't relate to the people Yeah, more than anything. Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound like me. That yeah. doesn't sound like me. That, that idea of terminal uniqueness. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You people need this. I don't. Or I'm so specially unique. There's no cure for me anyway. I've been there too. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> me yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but I did try to do what they told me. Somebody said, find a sponsor, um, just find somebody that says something you like and ask them to be your sponsor. I'm like, okay. So I'm just trying to check the boxes here, right? You know, I'm yeah. like, okay, let's just do the step one, blah, blah, blah. Fix me up. Here we go. Yeah, kind of the logic of it. Uh, right. Without the heart's not really involved. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and I had no belief in God, but I just tried to just, we were just going to slide through that step. Yeah. We're, sl- we're not going to try to understand it. We're just yeah. going to, okay, God, we'll check. We'll just go. Yeah. Um, and God bless my sponsor for tolerating me through that and walking with me, even though I well, was a hot mess. You it's know, one of the beauties of, of, of sponsorship in a sense is that they are, are not going to force everything on you. They're going to let it be as revealed to you as it's revealed. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, really important to me um I'm no, not especially a as a five yeah right? i'm not yeah. a person you, i don't like to be told what to do yeah. um or have things revealed to me for me you know yeah because fives really want to know the why behind everything not don't just give me the facts i need to know the why behind it yep, yep. absolutely yeah um so needless to say i ended up relapsing again that didn't last too long a few months um and I'm, the reasoning behind that was, okay, I'm an alcoholic, and if I'm an alcoholic, I'm going to drink like one. There you go. <laughs> that, cold, that cold logic, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And about this time, where I'm headed towards the bottom of the barrel here, uh, is when I meet Adam, my current husband. And we had actually gone to school together um, along, you know, in elementary school. Um, that's right i forgot about that sure did yeah um but i didn't get to know him until i was in active addiction and he he was too he was too yeah i I didn't realize that at the time he didn't realize that well we we kid all the time on the show carrie and i talk about it it's like it's like when i'm in addiction i walk around with a sign on my that i hold up it says hey uh i'm in i'm crazy you crazy let's get together and have children (laughs) you know yeah yeah, and I, I just made up my mind that, you know, he could stick around for whatever part of it he wanted to. That's good. And if he didn't want to, also fine. I was just fine with it. Yeah. Um, but we dated for a few months, and that fall I got really sick, and I got put in the hospital for alcoholic hepatitis. Yep. And he stuck with me through that, and I decided once again I was going to actually stop drinking. Because they were saying things like, if you keep drinking like this, you're going to die within a year. Which my head said, they just don't want to deal with me. That's not really true. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Addict brain, I guess. Yeah. Um, But I didn't believe it. I just thought they really just didn't want to deal with somebody who drank. Um, I do believe that now. I can look back and see how sick I was. Um. So I was, I was very angry about not being able to drink. And what I found out very quickly is that I was not in control of my drinking when I always thought I was because I thought that I control my hands. I control whether I put a sip of vodka in my body. Therefore, I'm always in control. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found out is that 
I ended up at a liquor store and buying vodka and drinking. Yeah. And don't even know how you got there. Exactly. Yeah. I had no clue about it. And that that scared me into checking myself into rehab. That's when I actually went to rehab to get sober. Yeah. Do you remember what year that was, roughly? 2010. 2010. Okay. Yep. All right. We're getting close. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah. No, this is good. This is perfect. I was just thinking about how it progressed and when we met. And um, so you went to rehab, right? Right. That helped. It did. But I had only been there for a couple of days when DHR came and said that they had taken custody of my daughter. Okay. Which was devastating yeah. for me. It's another bottom. Yeah. Um, another, you know, I'd lost my job. I'd lost my relationship. Now I'd lost my daughter. I was completely incapable of anything I felt. Like I, I felt like the bottom of the barrel. I was the mom that nobody wanted to ever talk to. You know, I, I, it was just, it was just very low for me. Yeah. So you were, but you were still in the facility? Yeah. Yeah. Th- thankfully. Okay. And what, did you make a decision there at that point to stay or did you, to, to leave or? No, I stayed. Yeah. Um, because at that point, for some reason, something clicked and at least I wanted to, to get her back and be a good mother for her. Yeah. I knew she needed that in her life. Um, so at that point, I didn't believe that I wasn't a good mother. Um, yeah, you. I remember you speaking publicly about this. Uh, gosh, it's been a while, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. And one of the things you said that, I mean, it was a showstopper for me. I, I, I start yeah. to cry when I think about it. Yeah, you... You were you were sharing your testimony, sharing your story, you know, in a twelve step meeting, and uh, I'm I'm tearing up thinking about it. There was just a moment there where you talked about, as you just said, even though all these things had happened and DHR had moved into Taker, you still didn't believe you weren't a good mother, which is the part of the denial, right? Absolutely. But then you talked about there came a moment of clarity. Where you actually see if I get this right, okay? You, I don't want to. No, you fine. tell it, but there was a sense that there was a day that came that dawned where you actually became grateful for DHR, and you used the words that was the beginning of humility. That was just the start of humility in my life. Is that that am is? I, am I getting that right? That's exactly no, that right. that I, I'll never forget it. Never forget it. It's one of the most important, cogent emotional, true things that anybody in, in recovery can say out loud. And it is a, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of redemption, redemption starting. Is that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I still remember where I was sitting. I mean, I remember everything about that moment when it clicked for me and I, I had that gr- gratitude that they took her before something truly awful could have happened right and you know gave me an opportunity to turn my life around for myself and for her yeah i I don't uh, people that haven't gone through addiction i think it's probably harder for them to understand why that's so big that that crack that that moment of clarity the beginnings of the gratitude wait a minute i'm grateful for something that i was so mad about so angry about for so long and that opening, that that kind of the hint of humility coming in, which gratitude and humility in combination is what really takes us to the next level, I think. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was what that happened while you were in the rehab? Or after, no, that was after? several months down the road before okay. I actually came to that point. I was fueled by a lot of anger for about six months. Um, once I got over the devastation part, it was, I'm going to jump through every hoop they want and... I was just mad at the world and that kept me sober for about six months. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I stayed sober, but, uh, until I was forced to go to AA meetings, you know, through the system mm-hmm. and, um, so like you're in the legal system now, correct. right? Okay. And they're going to like, if you ever want to have a hope of having your child back, these are the things you have to do. Right. Yes. And, and one of them was go to a 12 step meeting, I guess. Right. Right. Well, actually my lawyer told me that, yeah. um, because they didn't really give me a whole lot of guidance from the court system. Um, I think they 
maybe wanted you to be more proactive about showing that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't get a ton of guidance from the court system, but my, my lawyer said, go to as many meetings as you can, get somebody to sign something. Yeah. So I did. Yeah. Um, also under advice from a lawyer was, I went through two, but my first lawyer said a single mom will have a harder time getting her daughter back. So that's when I decided to marry Adam. Yeah. And that's, Love at first sight. The whole reason I married him. Yeah. Um, But God had a bigger plan that I had no idea, obviously, because we're still married 12 years later. But, yeah, yeah, I thought I'm willing to pay the price of divorce if this helps me get my daughter back. And so we got married. Yeah, right. And then um, two months after that, found out I was pregnant with my second child. Yeah. And the craziness was in full force. I mean, my entire first year of sobriety was just nuts. Big stuff happening oh, one yeah. after another. Yeah, all the things yeah. you're not supposed to do. I got married. <laughs> Big decisions. Yeah. Had a baby. Started yeah. a new job. Um, yeah. 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 But that was God's plan for my strange life. So yeah. I'm grateful for it, the way it worked out. So that moves into like 2011 and 12, mm-hmm. roughly, right? Which is, I think, about the time we met would have been probably around 12, somewhere in 12, maybe. Because we had just, Carrie and I had just started a new recovery group and ministry in a new church. Must have been 12, maybe 13. Maybe I had 13. already had Maggie. Maggie was born in August of 12. Okay, because so. Morgan and then Maggie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, so late 12 or 13. Um, is when I guess was the first year we had started that uh, that uh, recovery ministry at that little church plant. Yep. And then I remember y'all coming in, and that's that's the point where I remember that you were talking about uh, how difficult it was actually to be in community, and this was, was new for you. Yeah, it was yeah. very new. Um, I listened to the podcast on the church for probably close to a year before I got up the courage to walk through those doors. Wow. Um, there was a lot going on in the background too. You know, Adam coming to realize he was an addict and um, him starting the 12 step process. And then, you know, through the 12 steps is when I became, came to believe in God and Christ and suddenly I had a husband who didn't want to set foot in a church. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, and it, both of y'all are so intellectual, right? Yeah. Him coming from the six route into the five wing, you in the five, both of you are pretty intellectual. So it's kind of like you got to prove it to me logically, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but he, you know, he was willing to try. Once he got into the, the AA, yeah, or not AA, but recovery mindset, he right. was... Yeah, because because uh, probably I guess a formational part for y'all was the celebrate recovery twelve steps. Yes, right. And okay, then I, uh, he didn't tell this story. I don't think, but I know it was that uh, you were going to a lot of meetings, yes. right? And something about that sick skepticism. <laughs> he was like, I don't think she's going to a meeting. I think she's seeing somebody. And he, I better go to the meeting to find out. Is that is that about right? That's about how he tells it. He says that I was coming home from the meetings happy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what's going on here? I need to see what's happening there. Yeah. <laughs> and so so he actually decided, kind of like, a kind of like I would say, a good six or an unhealthy six or whatever <laughs> is like, okay, I, I can't trust, so I better go. And he so he goes to one of the meetings. Yeah. Right. And, and something kind of begins to happen. Yeah, he heard things he related to. Yeah, amazing. I know, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny how that works. Yeah. And he's that's that was his beginning of how he started coming back to the meetings and digging deeper. Yeah, and was able to see you know where why I kept going after yeah. I got Celia back and after you know everything settled down. Yeah. So y'all were actually to going together into that particular Celebrate Recovery. Mm-hmm. And there, of course, you've got your group and he's got his group, but y'all also had time as a community together, right? Right. So that was kind of a safe way to put yourself in into community, right? Because it's a recovery community. It's a subset in a way. 
it's a little bit more comfortable because these folks kind of get me. They understand they're on the same journey, yeah. right? So, but eventually there was, as you said, then there's this year of listening to podcast or sermon recording, right? Right. And Pastor Matthew is preaching these. And so what, was there something about what you were hearing that you decided, well, maybe we could actually not just go to recovery. We could go into a church. Well, I think God had been pulling on me to expand my community anyway. Um, recovery community was great, but I knew that I felt him pulling me to expand into a Christian community because I needed to learn. Um, and I actually realized by some amazing thing that I couldn't do that all on my own. Um, <laughs> Which is big for a five. It's huge right. for a five. <laughs> you mean I can't just go inside and stay there and get everything <laughs> I need out of life? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had been listening to the podcast for a while and – I think I've, I've told the story several times. It was uh, Carrie's wife's handout that got me into church. Um, he was giving us a series on fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. He kept talking about this laminated hand, handout he was giving out at oh, church. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And I told Adam, I was like, we have to, ha- I need this. You need, I need the handout. <laughs> I need the physical handout. I need the physical handout. Yeah. So that's what got us through the door, you know, initially. Um, but it, the whole journey into believing in God and, I mean, it has been a journey. It's My beliefs have evolved from mm-hmm. strange things. I mean, and I'm sure they'll continue to evolve, and I'm, I'm grateful for it, um, especially the way recovery approaches that and that it gives you that flexibility to grow yeah. in your beliefs. Yeah, the God of our understanding. Yeah. Yeah, which, again, is um, the freedom – to actually be able to say it that way and progress through it that way is, I think, a healthy thing because otherwise somebody's imposing their understanding of God on us. Right? Yeah, and yeah. that doesn't work out for me. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so uh, you were in the 12-step uh, Celebrate Recovery. Uh, we had something similar going on at the other church. You decided, you know, I, I kind of like what the pastor's laying down here in this community. And I think we'll take a chance. Now, now was Adam just kind of like, okay, we'll go? Was was he just kind of following your lead on that one? Or is he all excited about <laughs> No, he was not excited. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. I mean, neither of us were really excited. Right, but, right. Um, yeah. Yeah he, yeah, he was following my lead. I dragged yeah. him along. It wasn't a lot of warm fuzzy. It was more logic. Yeah. Yeah, okay. We need to do this. We're going to go do Makes this. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. So, but eventually you guys not only came to the church and then got involved with the recovery ministry, but really eventually both of y'all became part of the fabric of it in terms mm-hmm. of helping lead, right? Yeah. Helping a sponsor, draw other people in, uh, doing some of the basic, you know, stuff you had to do every week to – set up and take down or just be there. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Getting into the depth of uh, doing the step work with people. Right. Right. Over a long period of time. Yeah. So things were going along pretty good, but something happened, right? Eventually a few years later. You know, and it's still, um, sometimes I think of it like a perfect storm of, I mean, just bad things happening all at once. Um but yeah, we were we had been rocking right along, and life seemed good. A couple of years before, I had decided to quit my job. I think that this impacted me more than I thought in retrospect. Yeah, I remember. I remember when you were walking through that decision, and there was there seemed to be so much healthy thinking going on in terms of yeah, I want to try to spend more time with the children. Got two younger children, and Celia was older, but. Uh, and try to figure out what it's like to kind of do home in a in a normal way. And you know, I know you were you were trying to discern. I was. And there just seemed like so many healthy elements of the decision making. But I do remember thinking, to, personally, I just remember thinking when I heard the news that you were going to actually stop working all together. I just, I kept thinking to myself, Gosh, is that the way to go right now? Because you you are such a creative, and your work did mean so much to you. Yeah. So that, but that was part of the decision making, and again, there was a lot of healthy parts to it as well. Yeah, I mean, I really don't think that we did anything terribly wrong in our actual decision making. No, no. And there were, you know, it was healthy reasons. Like I wanted to spend more time with the girls. 
Um, my work was actually becoming more stressful. Um, we could financially, we were able to do it. Um, and I actually put a lot of thought into trying to make sure that my identity wasn't tied to my work. Like, is this going to, I did actually think about that a lot, but it was, I mean, maybe not enough. I don't, I, I didn't realize that it, it was. It's going to leave a hole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for a couple of years there, I struggled with depression and not realizing it and feeling um, useless and kind of purposeless. Mm. I did work part-time some, which was, it helped um, to a degree, but uh, it wasn't the same. I still didn't feel like I was, I knew as a mom I had purpose, right? But I just, I, I wasn't able to fully express myself and, you know, just do what I wanted to do, I guess. Well, would it be, and again, not let me put words in your mouth, but is it possible that part of that is just uh, kind of shut off from the ability to go very deep intellectually at times? Yeah, that could have very well, yeah. Yeah. Again, I know I've got a lot of friends that are fives. I've got clients that are fives. I've sponsored fives. Even just as recently, listen to Allison talk about that sense of uh, – it was like what she called an exhale of relief when she figured out she was a five because she had so many layers of culture, context, and people's demands and what they thought she was supposed to be as a mom and that type of thing. And so she was feeling a lot of shame and guilt because she wasn't experiencing those emotions right. at those levels. Plus, uh, there really is a build. The fives are really built to go deep, to go very deep into things intellectually. It's part of their superpower. Yeah. So it sounds kind of like part of that was missing, for, or it had it, hadn't been able to be reintegrated. Yeah, and of course I didn't have any knowledge of the Enneagram type things or anything like that, so I didn't really, I just kind of figured I wasn't doing it right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there were some, lots of good times. I can remember still, like, uh, I was sweeping one day and just having the overwhelming feeling of peace and gratitude that, I was able to be at home at that moment and sweeping the floor. Wow. I mean, and that's not... The ordinary. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very often that... I mean, I personally just really feel that intense gratitude for those ordinary things. Yeah. So yeah. it really stuck out to me. Um, but there was there was a lot of depression going on, and I, I didn't see that at the time. Um, and you know, I eventually started... I think questioning some of my beliefs mm-hmm. um, and just being very unsure about who I was to God in life. Um, and I did eventually uh, end up relapsing. So it was, it was ugly. Yeah, it was hard. It was, yeah. hard. it was, it was scary for all of us. Uh, I know for Adam, for you, the girls, confusing. I don't know. For you, it was terrifying. Yeah, it was. And I think you know you've you've shared about okay. There's another bottom there. It felt really dark, and even the sense I think of shame attached to that. Can you are you willing to talk a little bit about that? Uh, shame was a huge, yeah. huge player in the relapse. Um, uh, it kept me in that relapse as long as it did, and it took me a long time to come back from that I'd have periods of sobriety um but I just couldn't shake the feeling that I was inherently a bad person and Mm -hmm. that was my destiny to fulfill yeah um and it it just took a lot of work to get through that shame but that's that's what ultimately kept me using over and over again is that I would get back into that belief that there's I'm useless to everyone, and mm-hmm. this is just the way. The, mm-hmm. the cautionary tale is what I, I say is my purpose. I was, I was all about my only job is to be the story that no one else should be, mm. is what I believed wow. for yeah. a long time. And that's dark. That'll yeah. trap you. Yeah, because it basically is, you could put it in terms, it's essentially saying I don't have any hope. Right. Right. Um, so what helped? What, what finally and, and uh, as soon as I started to ask that question, I knew that was the wrong question because <laughs> there's not one thing. Right. It's a, it was a process. But what are some things over time you think that really helped you uh, to get back to a place where that wasn't your belief about yourself? 
some of some of it's structured uh, rehab. It really was. Yeah. Um, I think that was a large part of it. I went through several rehabs. Um, there wasn't a problem with the rehabs. It, I mean, it was not a fault of their programs. I will say, you know, the last one that I went to, I think, focused more on shame work. And okay. That, so that helped me. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And some of the techniques that they made me do in combination with recovery principles, um, things like write these affirmations down, put them on your mirror, and say them. And so I wrote some Bible verses, and I would change the pronouns to me, you mm. know. Um, and I took the attitude in of, if they tell me to do it, I'm just going to do it. I don't care how stupid it is. I'm just going to do it. Just kind of like what I did with recovery, you know. Mm-hmm. I may not understand it. It's fine. If they say it works, we're just going to do it. Which which is kind of, uh, for any type, but especially for fives, is kind of the share, shedding of the arrogance right. that I know better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is definitely my go-to place. Yeah. Um, and so I, I did that, and I think that helped drill eventually into my head a little bit um, to believe that I was loved by God, by my family. Um, one of the things on there, you know, Adam and I were struggling deeply. I'm just grateful he didn't divorce me over it. He had, he had plenty of reasons, too. Um, but I... I put on there that, you know, I wasn't responsible for his reactions and feelings um, because I'd feel everything was my fault. Yeah, and which is really tough to delineate when you're trying to become and stay sober, work through the system of uh, the way the emotional systems have gotten entangled, right? Because right. you, as you just said, here's this person who I'm married to, I love, but I've hurt him terribly, right. disappointed over and over, scared him, whatever. Caused his life to be health, okay? But at the same time, I've got to do the healthy work of understanding where emotionally we've been enmeshed, and I've got to I've got to pull away from that. Right. That's hard to do. It was hard to do. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, there was just so much shame and responsibility on my part, which there was responsible. I mean, I am responsible for my actions. Um, but, I, for instance, I would sleep on the floor in the bathroom because I didn't feel like I deserved to sleep in the bed. Um, it was just, you know, I felt responsible for the world and to, to learn to be responsible for my actions, but not his feelings, um, or the way that he reacted to my actions. Yeah, because he's, he, he, he talked about this here and he's talked about it publicly. He's, he was still trying to figure, he's sober. But he's still trying to figure out how to become a separate self, detach from everything, but yet stay connected. Yeah, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. You're both. You were both working at a new level of sobriety. It mm-hmm. wasn't about just not using anymore. It's what the big book would call like inner sobriety, emotional sobriety. Emotional sobriety. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think we had that for a few years, but I think the combination of maybe the church falling apart, our community mm-hmm. falling apart, my inner turmoil. Um, all of that. The depression. Yes. All of that kind of compacted for this mm-hmm. couple of years of, you know, my complete reign of relapse, I guess, you know, where I just made a lot of bad mistakes and hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that that last rehab, the work with the shame particularly um, good. helped me. That's good. I'm glad you say that because I know there's people out there listening and sometimes – they for, we don't know that that's one of the deeper components that folks have to deal with. You can you can work all around the mechanical edges of sobriety and get it, but if we don't go to the core issues of shame, then it's usually just a matter of time. We may not go back to the old ways, but we're going to act it out in some way. What's not right. what's what's not spoken out well will eventually be acted out poorly. Right. Right. And right. so in this case, the shame issue. Yeah. Here's one thing I want you to talk about, though, before we finish, yeah. if you're willing, because you talked about it earlier. We know this about fives, about uh, finding a subject that they're interested in, and then they're just going to go as deep <laughs> as they can, right? Right. And so you eventually, after after some sobriety was regained and some stability and the marriage was put back together, uh, decided you wanted to go to school. Correct. But it was a particular type of school <laughs> about? 
theology. Theology. Yes. So you've been diving deep for a couple of years. Yes, I have. I'm yeah. actually taking a break right now. Okay. Um, because I started becoming unhealthy with it. Okay. Um, I initially did it for all the right reasons. Um, I had a hunger and thirst to know more about God. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to learn um, Greek and Hebrew so that I could read the original languages, the manuscripts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I was all in there for yeah. a couple of years. But then the, towards the last semester that I went, um, it became more about, I got to do this paper. And I started dreading those kind of things. And I thought, it's time to step back just for a little while. Um, I do want to go back and finish, but... I needed to really concentrate more on connecting back with God instead of the academics because sure. that's what, that's the direction I had. Yeah, which is easy. Take. Which is easy for a mental type to do, especially a five. It can become disconnected from the heart and the emotions and the body, and become so much about the mind, right? Yeah, which had been a concern of mine going in. I was, I was concerned going in that, um, it would become. I didn't want my relationship to God to be an academic exercise. Um, so I tried to be very in, intentional and think about that really hard before going in. And I did feel like I went in with the right motivations and stayed with it for, you know, a couple of years. But it did start get to a place where I was stressed out. There's no reason for me to push myself as hard as I was because I was going full time. Good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I stepped back for yeah, a Yeah. So of a healthy, a, a healthy decision. Yes, I think so. Yeah. To pull back. Whereas in the past, that might have been the place that you wouldn't have recognized that. I probably would have drilled down further. Yep. Yep. Gone deeper. Yep. Time yep. to tighten up. Yeah. Which, it, ironically, even though it increases the learning and the depth, often cuts the soul off from yes. life. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which is one of the problems for a five is they unconsciously believe that the more they hoard themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not like you guys are not generous people. You, you'd, <laughs> give the, you'd give the shirt off your back. You yeah. would help anybody. But it's the hoarding of self that unconsciously a five thinks that's where life is when ironically they're cutting themselves off from the deepest source of life, which is giving themselves back out. So true. That makes sense. I mean, so much sense. Yeah. And it's not even a a conscious thought. I mean, it's just a feeling, you know, when I get, um, when I see my calendar start filling up, I'm just like, I get a little anxious. Like, when am I going to rest? When am am I going to be able to sit down and just be quiet and still? Go back in. Yeah. 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 Uh, That's, that's a typical thing. That's, that's why the, like, Allison talked about crushing the pandemic or like you were going, mm-hmm. why does this have to end? It was kind of nice, right? Yeah. I didn't have Absolutely. to give up so much. Yeah. So part of a healthy fives learning pattern, I think, is to be okay with the fact that they, more than some people, need that downtime to recharge and to reinvigorate themselves. And then when they come back out, they really can bless the world in a different way. Is that Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's part of what has helped me, you know, in as far as learning that I'm a five, um, because I think I used to feel shame about that mm. or that I was doing something wrong in my recovery. Like I'm wanting to isolate. What does that mean? Um, but that's just the way that I'm built. I just need that recharge time. Um, and there's a healthy level of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know, I know when uh, Adam and I, a few years ago, went through the 9 and 12, which was a synergy of the 12 steps and the Enneagram. And as a group of men, we had two different groups going. He and I were in one. There was another one. And just taking the time to learn about not only my type, but all the other types began to create a new level of empathy for me with people. And I think the folks in the group agreed with that and then walking back through the steps again with a knowledge of type and the idea that you know what I may have taken that step the first time pretty well with my head but my heart didn't actually go through it right does, does that make sense it does yeah. yeah or my body might not have gone through it and right. then going back and going uh, I remember Don Carroll who's on the podcast says you know what the steps were meant to be taken by all three centers head heart and gut and I'm like I didn't know that the first time <laughs> right know. yeah but going back through and trying to integrate those things has made a lot of difference for me yeah and I think it's made a difference for Adam I think he's talked about that too yeah I think it had so to. you know what we need to do 
don't you? You need to put your thinking mind on this one, okay? Okay. We need to figure out how to do more synergies with Enneagram and 12-step groups in Birmingham. That would be really cool. I think think that would be very helpful for a lot of people. Yeah, I do too. I've seen it work really well. I think... I think that's kind of, I think we're in this place in history now where there's this shift going on about, as you said, evolutions of faith and stages of faith and people opening up to, to new. And I think that would be something that may be a great legacy for those of us that have benefited through 12-step communities, but are also now connecting deeper to self through Enneagram and right. that type of thing. Maybe something we could focus on. I like that. Maybe, our give, maybe our give back. I like that, yeah. Okay, well, cool. Well, um, so what's anything new on the horizon? Uh, Just still mainly like uh, a 9-year-old and an (laughs) 11-year-old? and uh, How's Celia doing? Did she finish school or is she? No? No, she's taking a break right now. Taking a break, yeah. She's doing good. Yeah. She's doing really good. Right, yeah, because she had a lot of trauma too, not just from years back, but even recently as well that she's had to deal with. Right. So, yeah. All right, so for you going forward, taking a break in divinity school for a while, right? right? Okay. Um, what's anything on the horizon that excites you? Um, I've actually learned that I like to teach. Okay. Um, I've been involved in this online game. It's a very interesting, I have a very interesting story about a friend of mine who. Yeah, tell us. Well. If you want to. Yeah, I will. Um, I'm, I met this friend uh, playing King of Avalon online. Um, and she lives in the UK. And we just started talking. It actually started over uh, beans and toast, which is a a British food that they love over there. And I was like, what? Beans and toast? Beans and toast. I was like, I need to try this. So I went to the store. And we were chatting over, you know, instant message or whatever and she showed me which beans to buy and I tried this beans and toast and it just kind of started that that's how we started talking um as I, I shared more about myself um I started to hear things that sounded like a little bit of addiction in her life um of course I didn't call her out or anything but I just shared more of my story and how recovery has helped me and that kind of thing um and we we kept coming closer and she kept talking more to me and opening up and um eventually she said you know I think I'm gonna quit taking my pain pills because she was much Mm. like Adam in that prescription it was prescription so it's okay yeah but she was also abusing them um so she she stopped um she told me which I knew was a lie and she, it was a lie, but she, uh, she said, I was only taking one a day, so it should be okay. She was taking way more than that. Um, of course, I didn't find that out until later. Yeah. Um, so she suffered through those withdrawals, and I kept trying to push her into going to a meeting, and uh, she didn't want to go. And so I found a local meeting. I asked around for a local Zoom meeting. I said, Let's, I, said I have a Zoom meeting. I'll go with you if you want to go sometime so we can go together. I've never been to it. You've never been to it. It'll be interesting. It'll be She's fun. in the UK. She's in the UK. You're in Alabama. Right. Uh, there's a Zoom meeting because the one one good result of the pandemic obviously has been this connection of people from all over the place mm-hmm. in meetings in Zoom. So y'all are in a Zoom meeting together. So I got her to go to a Zoom meeting, and um, she's still going. So she picked up her nine month tag Way to uh, go. the other day. Awesome. Yep, I'm so yeah. proud of her. But since then, she's she's come to visit. She stays with us. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's met all her friends at her home group in Alabama now. We go to wow. the meetings here. That is yeah. too cool. Yeah. That is too cool. And she, Yeah, we just had the in addiction walk uh, as we're recording this two days ago in Birmingham. Yeah. And one of the coolest things about that is that we have sobriety circles. So anybody in attendance of the however thousand are there or whatever – can come up and take a chip and it's always to me the highlight yeah. of the thing and you know who gets the loudest cheers the, the, first, the, the yeah. first ones the, the, the 30 the, the 30 years and plus lots of applause 10 years but the ones that are one day sober get the most applause and Absolutely. I'm, I'm tearing up thinking about it mm-hmm. yeah it's so cool that y'all were able to do that yeah so and she even she came to visit two weeks ago i think to pick up her 
nine month ship and she shared her story at a meeting. So she wow. got up and told her truth. Some things that she had told me that she had never she'd been carrying for twenty years. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. She told to a whole group of people. Yeah. And I was well. just like oh. it was so good. Yeah. I mean God's working some real stuff there. He's he's in those online games people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I mean, but seriously, sure. it's, just, it's cool. Absolutely. Um uh, that whole idea of uh, going back to the shame and talking about that and the idea both in Enneagram and in 12-step, the, the saying that this is solitary work that's so important you can't do it alone. <laughs> that is, yeah, yeah. You, yeah you need. Part of the reason community is so important, honestly, I think, is that it ameliorates the shame over time. It is absorbed by the community, not in an unhealthy way. Does oh, that make yeah. sense? Yes, yeah. it makes total sense. Um, I think one of the most healing things for me was to be able, the first time I gave my fifth step to my sponsor where I, you know, tell them my inventory. And the every, exact nature of our own. Mm-hmm, yeah. Every terrible thing I've ever done that I could think of to write on paper pretty much. And she looked at me and she still loved me. Mm-hmm. And that was like a lightning bolt to my heart. I mean... Yeah, that that's big. Impact. That's big. Solitary work that's so important. <laughs> you can't do it alone. Yeah, you yep. have to invite another in. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I love this. Uh, the the fact that you got the story about the UK connection, oh, her yeah. coming here. It's so good. Uh, yeah, now then physically being in front of folks in Alabama in a meeting that she was on Zoom before, and then telling her story. That's, yeah, yeah. That it's is so really re- awesome. So Just, redemptive. Yeah. yeah, I suspect we're going to hear more of those types of things going. Or just because of what happened with pandemic. Right. You know. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, she comes here several times a year. I mean, she's going to be coming several times a year. So it's, it's. I'm really happy for her that she's found a community, even if it's across the pond. Across the pond. Yeah. You know, Beans and toast. Beans and toast. Sweet. It was pretty cool. She got me a, uh, I didn't even know they would do this, a can of beans and had it personalized <laughs> for our friend anniversary. <laughs> Our, diversion. <laughs> it has our names on it. <laughs> Can of beans. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Christy, thanks so much for coming up. There's so much more we could explore. And I, oh, yeah. I'm not going to let you off the hook about the Enneagram and 12-step groups. No, okay, I think I'm that's gonna, great. I'm going to keep pestering you because you know what my motto from recovery is, God loves you and I have a plan for your life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming in, dear. Love you. Thank you so okay. much. Folks, join us again next time for How's That Working For You. <laughs>